excited to talk this morning to James Franco of the Kansas Policy Institute. KPI is what I think of. So Kansas Policy Institute. That's um, right. That's uh, right. We don't have anything nearly as uh, fun as the Show Me Institute. You just go with Kansas, but you're so our neighbors. Just, Love to talk truth, to you. Truth in a ad- city. <laughs> truth in advertising. Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's, that's us. Yeah, so you guys probably have a lot of similar experiences to Missouri. We think a lot about our neighbors like Kansas and Oklahoma and Arkansas, Iowa. Anyway, um, I always actually use you guys as an example of a state that's doing more to give parents choices than Missouri is. You at least can pick a public school. But but that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, What we are going to talk about is something that I think is fascinating. And of course, Uh, necessity is the uh, mother of invention, right? And since the pandemic happening before, but definitely since the pandemic, there are countless stories of parents who just got fed up with the system as it was operating. If it was closed, if it wasn't closed, whatever it is, and took things and took matters into their own hands, which I never underestimate the power of parents. And some really cool things have emerged around public education that we're going to talk about this morning. Um, and and I know you guys have an event coming up that I want to hear more about, but your your I'll just give a little spoiler ahead of time. Your keynote speaker, Carrie McDonald, is a really fascinating person who has her own podcast on this issue of how parents are creating their own schools. And I heard her talk recently and she said that she's recording two a week because she thought that would sort of cover how many of these are happening. And she has like a, a wait list hundreds of schools long because it's happening way more than she thought. So uh, there's that's definitely an opportunity to learn more. But tell me a little bit about this event you guys are having and why you think it's important for uh, Kansans to and Missourians to know more about this like kind of new thing that's happening in public education. Yeah, absolutely. The, I mean, for our sake, I mean, we're similar to Show Me, right? We spend a lot of our time in Topeka or Jeff City, as it were, you know, talking about educating lawmakers on student-focused, you know, education reforms, be it choice or accountability, otherwise transparency stuff, um, as well as, you know, tax and regulatory policy and all that fun stuff too. But this event uh, on September 23rd in Overland Park, uh, so which is just kind of on the suburban side of the Kansas City uh, metro, you know, west of state line, um, is not policy focused per se so much as it is trying to like highlight some of the micro and hybrid schools that like you just said have maybe not um sprung up but you know have emerged or um kind of been brought into new focus since the pandemic itself it's one of those things that on one hand it's probably always been going on right um but it is just as you said the the pandemic stepped on the accelerator of so many different trends in society, one of which was kind of an unconventional, you know, learning environment for kids. You've always had some homeschoolers. The overwhelming majority of kids go to a brick and mortar school, whether it's parochial or public or what have you, you know, obviously the overwhelming majority is going to a public school. Um, But there's that space in between, between a five days a week brick and mortar school and, you know, to trade in stereotypes, you know, mom teaching kids only at home around the kitchen table, everything that exists in between homeschool co-ops, virtual education, um, you know, tutors, all of these different kinds of things have only become more important. And that's what we're trying to talk about at this summit on the 23rd of September, Uh, less about the policy implications and more about starting schools, 
what homeschool looks like as it moves from that kind of traditional, you know, uh, around the kitchen table to tutors and co-ops and things like this, what education choice looks like in um, rural areas, which is something we hear a lot in Kansas. Well, hey, we don't have uh, private education, so school choice doesn't matter for us, you know, kind of a thing. Sure. Uh, that's a problem for Kansas City or St. Louis or Wichita or something like that. Which I will just uh, correct that misconception right. a little bit because Iowa just opened up uh, completely to school choice and parents in Iowa can take $7,500 to the public or private school of their choice. I'll just make a note that they had given scholarships to kids in 96 out of 99 counties in Iowa. Right. So rural, obviously, but just for the record, how how do you define a micro school? When you talk about micro schools, what are you talking about? So it, it is, you know, I want to trade in the, you know, the, uh, you can't define it, but you know it when you see it kind yeah. of a thing, yeah. right? Uh, without going into too much detail on where that comes from. But uh, I think for a micro school, as opposed to a hybrid kind of a thing is something where you know, it's it's defined by size as far as the number of students, maybe. So it's 10, 15, 20 kids, you know, who are maybe they're in school five days a week. Maybe they're in, you know, by school, I mean, a physical yep. location, right? Um, for something less than that, as opposed to a hybrid where you're, you know, it, maybe you're in school for just in a physical location for a couple of days, but then you're primarily homeschooled still or something like that. A micro school is going to be something different than that, uh, maybe more akin to a one-room schoolhouse kind of a thing, um, which I don't know if this is something you all have experienced uh, in Missouri, but when somebody raised that idea in the legislature this year when we were talking about an education savings account, I mean, uh, there were a lot of people who were tisk to tisking uh, people who brought it up as like a good thing that you would have a one-room schoolhouse kind of a scenario. Um, and these are people who typically, you know, are very, you know, quote unquote, pro public education. Because it's a regression to the the late 1800s or like what was. Yeah, essentially. Okay. And then um, and then because somebody, one of the legislators said, hey, we should be going back to the 1800s <laughs> in this idea of, you know, community schools that are hyper driven by parents and things like this. You know, in Kansas, we have an affinity for Little House on the Prairie. Um, even though, you know, pause fiddle, I think is still actually in Missouri. Um, I can't remember the name of the town, but I've driven through it. My kids have been to the the place where, you know, Pa Ingalls' fiddle still sits. But anyway, I digress. Um, you know, it was a group of families who would come together to hire a teacher yeah. in a small town. And then, you know, that teacher would, you know, have the one room schoolhouse on some level. I understand why maybe we've moved away from that over the last 150 years, but in, you know, there's 50,000 kids in the Wichita school district. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that every person who works in that district doesn't wake up every day and do the best that they can sure. to educate kids. But it does mean that that's 50,000 kids. You can't possibly hope to reach each one of those kids well, despite, or as well as they need or deserve, despite their best efforts. So the idea of a few families coming together um, or several families, however it works, you know, to find the right teacher for where their kids are at and what they need is uh, a beautiful idea that I think we should be encouraging, not, you know, looking sideways at. And that's what kind of this my hybrid and micro school world looks like for, for my sake. I mean, I think really John Dewey and his progressive 
movement and education 100 years ago. You know, the idea that we could take, I'm I'm grossly overgeneralizing here, sort of like the uh, Ford Model T uh, approach to education and we can get they did want to like get rid of the one room schoolhouses, bring kids onto bigger campuses. You could offer more classes and then set up this idea that we take as a given, which is you divide kids by age. You put 20 to 30 in a room. You have a chalkboard at the front. You have one teacher. You have teachers teaching subjects, you know, and the teachers has to teach all the kids of that who are eight, regardless of how they come in with what skills they come in with. If you're eight, you get that one teacher. And that was a maybe uh, an idea that fit in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and people really gravitated. And we went from 100,000 school districts to, you know, today we have 13,000, something like that. And so we got this grand kind of consolidation. And it's interesting that now people kind of want to break it up. And I say the pandemic because I, I you know, I've heard uh, parents speak like a, a mom in a high rise in Queens who just took it upon herself and start, started bringing in kids from other families and the parents got together and kind of decided on the curriculum and the kids had to take a, the freight elevator up to do it. And like whatever obstacle she met, she was like, I'm going to get over that obstacle because I want to do this. I don't want my kids sitting at home on a computer virtually yeah. learning. And so they got tents for the kids. People have turned their barns into schools. I mean, like there's, this is like Carrie McDonald's podcast. You know, there's a million examples that have, that have grown up out there because people are like, I'm not going to accept what this one thing is I've been given. And if I have to make my own, I'll make my own. And I think it's great because now we've got, you know, a million ideas around how to educate kids instead of this one model that we try to mm -hmm. shove every kid into. No, that's exactly right. I, I, I couldn't put it better myself. I mean, I think it's great too, that you bring in, that you're bringing in somebody who I mean, I think Carrie's like the, the expert or knows as much about microschooling as anyone. We did do a podcast with Don Soifer, who he and his wife have a um, microschooling institute in, in um, Nevada. Lots of resources if anyone listening is interested in doing this. And there are groups that will help you. There are sort of microschooling groups that have a off the shelf kind of um Prenda, who will, if you want to start a micro school, they will help you do it. And in some cases, I don't know what the law is like in Kansas. I know Missouri, we have a really nice, favorable environment for homeschooling. And to the extent we talked about it with the legislature, it's like, let's keep that nice, regulatory free environment for people who want to do this. Some states, you have to become a private school or you have to, you know, I know parents have run into problems, but I like this idea of letting a, a million flowers grow. No, that's exactly, that is exactly right. Now, do you yeah. do you have a lot in Kansas that you know? You Say that again. Of, do you have a lot of parents starting micro schools in Kansas? Yeah, we do. There's a group. Carrie came to Wichita um, last fall, and then she came and did another workshop in March with a group of uh, schools. It's called the WISE is the acronym. It's the Wichita Independent Schools and Educators Group, and it's a collective of micro school and you know homeschool hybrid types, and it's everything from faith based. Uh, education to secular education to a school that started out with the idea of being a micro school and now they have 150 kids. Uh -huh. There are schools, there's one school in particular that um, focuses on uh, neurologically diverse or, you know, special needs kids. Um, so, I mean, it lays bare the idea that one, it's only this faith-based thing let alone, you know, special ed kids can't get the services that they need anywhere but in a public school. Right. Um, and it it 
is a testament to kind of the ingenuity uh, and the 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 beauty of families when they feel empowered to take you know on the education uh, for their own kiddos. Um, you know, it really is. It, it's heartening, uh, and it yeah. is a belief in individuals. You know, rather than just saying, "Hey, there's something else that's going to take care of this problem for us." Right. Um, or not even a problem, but who's going to go about educating our kids? And I don't have this statistic in front of me. Maybe you've got it, but um, I've heard, you know, that even before compulsory attendance laws, something like 95% of kids were still in some kind of an educational environment. Right. Now, this is back, you know, going on 200 years now almost. And it is the idea that there are always going to be bad apples, right, in public schools or private schools or families or business or whatever. Um but just as certainly as you and I wake up every morning and we, you know, clean our kids and we feed them and we yeah. house them, we're also going to educate them. Right. And it's just as fundamental as anything else. That education may look different based on who or when or where you are, but people are going to educate their kids. They just need to be trusted to do so. Um, yeah. And for a long time, it was that zip code directed thing. And I think for lots of different reasons, um, long predating the pandemic, um, you've seen where maybe that zip code directed idea is not sufficient. Now, don't um, you guys have a new law that went in either this this year about um, open enrollment, public school open enrollment? It went in, uh, so it passed in the 2022 legislative session. It does not take effect until essentially this time next year. Okay. Um, in the advance of the 24-25 school year. Um, and it's still up to the quote-unquote receiving district or the receiving buildings to define capacity. Right. Um, but it is much broader than what it was previously where um, it was harder for a family to move across, you know, boundary lines. And you know, I'm, I grew up in the Kansas City area. I'm sure it is the same in parts of St. Louis or other places. There's a reason home prices are what they are in certain, That's you know, right. residential areas. And you're essentially paying private, maybe not private, you're essentially paying tuition right, in, your in the form of home values mm -hmm. and property taxes to be able to send your kids to one of these leafy suburban schools. Um, and there's a reason people want to move there, but not everybody can afford to. Yeah. And also uh, on the uh, Missouri side, you know, open enrollment, you might want to move districts for a number of reasons, but independence is going to a four day school week. And I can imagine well, what we found with the four day school week is some parents love it. I mean, we yeah. have survey after survey parents want their kids home one or two days a week. That's there's a like 40 percent uh, higher than I would have expected of parents that like that situation. Other parents hate it. So yeah. You know, other parents like that does not work for my family's schedule or the fact that I work five days a week. So <laughs> they need to be somewhere five days a week. So that's fine in a in a you know a larger district like Independence who claims they have to do it for teacher retention. Okay, but you can't force a parent into that. Like a parent should be able then to choose a, a different district. If they find themselves living in a district that all of a sudden went from five days to four days, you need to be able to go to the district next door. In Missouri, you cannot. We don't have open enrollment like Kansas. Right. Well, and independence is, um, why am I blanking? I mean, it's probably close enough that it essentially serves as a bedroom community yeah. kind of a thing. So you have folks who 
I mean, yeah, a lot of people are able to work remotely or whatnot, you Maybe. know, <laughs> but um, if you've tabling the quality just as a purely practical matter, as you've laid out, if you've bought a home with commutes and a lifestyle based on that, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you got to mm-hmm. find daycare for your kid, you know, if it's an elementary school kid or what have you, um, that's going to be a real practical challenge. And I, I think that's why it's not that any one of these reforms, be it education savings accounts or tax credits or open enrollment or charters, which Missouri has and Kansas functionally doesn't, yeah. or homeschools or hybrid one of these things isn't going to work for everybody. That's right. The entire point of this discussion is just what you said. It is allowing a thousand flowers to bloom because yep. what works for, you know, the Franco family right. may not work for my next door neighbor, even though we live in the same neighborhood and all these other kinds of things, just for countless reasons. What works for even one just, member of the Franco family may not work for every member. Of, oh, mean, that's exactly I have right. three kids. So, you know, <laughs> they are not all exactly the same, I've noticed. So, you know, we just need, you know, to get away from this one size fits all. And I know that's so cliche. I hate even saying it. But one thing that I think is kind of cool that came out of the p- pandemic is that homeschooling went, I don't know, maybe I should. I homeschooled one of my kids for the record. So, but like, it was kind of had a stigma attached to it. Like the kinds of people who homeschooled and they were uh, religious and they wanted to keep their kids away from things, which is not true for the record. But now I think it's uh, estimates are that it's tripled maybe the number of Mm -hmm. homes and this idea of hybrid homeschooling, which if you could explain a little bit, I would appreciate, but that idea has opened it up to where like this term homeschooling doesn't mean that you're like, you know, in a cult trying to keep your kids out of, you know, away from society, right? I mean, that was hyperbole, but you know what I mean. Right. Well, but I mean, because that's one of the, like I said at the outset, you know, there was this stereotype of what homeschooling was. And, you know, if we all close our eyes and you think homeschool, we homeschool our kids too. We have since before the pandemic, right? Right. (laughs) Um, But you're going to have a vision, right? And it's going to be, you know, just what you laid out, you know, times 10, you know, for most folks when they think about it. But the point is, um, it's just very different. I mean, I, folks who are roughly my age, you know, who were homeschooled, I was, and I went to, you know, Blue Valley High School in, you know, Johnson County, Kansas, you know, whether they're proud to claim me or not. Um, my <laughs> mom was a public school teacher, um, is, uh, it's just within lived memory that it was like, you didn't go outside during the day because you thought, you know, the truancy officer might be called on your kids and yeah. that kind of stuff. And now, um, lots of different kinds of people. If I, you know, am working from home and I have to go run to the grocery store, I see lots of kids running around sure. some of whom are, you know, from a variety of different socioeconomic and, you know, um, you know, just different groups of folks. They're not all, you know, again, to trade in stereotypes, you know, overly pious, you know, white White. families. It's, yeah, there's been a major rise in the number of black families homeschooling, which Um, I mean, we have a a lady who's coming to this conference on the 23rd with us, um, Denise Perdue, um, who's an African-American who homeschooled her kiddos and now offers homeschool services to, um, folks in, uh, around the country really, but, uh, she's based out of Kentucky. It's just a completely different world. Um, but anyway, I have now gone way far afield from what your question was. Um, not really. I mean, homeschooling now doesn't have that negative stigma, right? right? I, I don't know if we need a new word for it, but homeschooling now is like you said, you see kids around and I think some parents who homeschool 
uh, just see this through, don't know their homeschooling. There are parents whose yeah. kids go to a virtual charter. They sit down with them every day and they call themselves homeschoolers or they, or they don't think they're, you know, so, and then during the pandemic, everyone was a homeschooler. So maybe right. that helped a little bit, but. Well, but then, you know, there's uh, to your question about like hybrid is, so we homeschool our kiddos. We have, we have three, uh, we have since before the pandemic. Um, but come on in for anybody who's listening. The water's great. Um, <laughs> if it works for your family, but even to your point, sorry, I can't help myself. Um, it doesn't necessarily work for each kid. We have, you know, friends of ours who they homeschool two kids, but one kid goes to a private school or maybe another kid because of whatever needs, you know, does go to a public school. It really is each individual kid and meeting them where they're at, but the hybrid school. So we homeschool, we go to a co-op once a week, um, you know, so they get something like a, you know, quote unquote, uh, normal, you know, education setting. It's, you know, age-based roughly, you know, you've got schoolwork that you're working through. You've got, you know, presentations and different things that you're doing and, you know, how to sit still and interact at recess, you know, and not cut in line and all that kind of stuff, which is, you know, one of the things maybe you heard more before the pandemic is that, oh, well, how are kids getting socialized? Not all the time. Which the time. is complete and utter rubbish. Um, <laughs> my, you know, my kid being independent enough to be able to, you know, go into the grocery store with me and interact with adults, you know, or, you know, strangers and converse and things like that is just as important as socializing with only kids who are at their same level, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> you know, and then folks go, they do tutoring, you know, they're in, you know, uh, classes, they do things, you know, outside of, you know, the co-op where they, you know, plays, plays, uh, yes. you know, we're doing Shakespeare readings or we have friends yes. who, you know, do, you know, different foreign language stuff. And yes, it can exist in, you know, face-to-face -face interactions, but just as this is, a lot of this stuff exists online yeah. and in a way that it maybe did before, but it was not as uh, obtainable for many people. But yeah. now you could log in and probably, I know it exists. We just haven't availed ourselves of it. You could probably take German lessons from a family who's actually in Germany yeah. and you're learning from a native speaker, yeah. you know, and you're doing it virtually in a way that, you know, I took German in high school and was horrible at it, but, um, you know, it was a good experience, but it wasn't that kind of an immersive experience with somebody who is a native German speaker. Yeah, you know, people are wearing can, VR headsets and going yes, to I mean, Germany just, and yeah. talking and just like, there is no, I've heard of, you know, uh, people imagining that a kid wakes up and their walls turn into their computers and they are where like, there's, there's no real limits on this. If we let right. ourselves think outside of the public schoolhouse box, right? And we, in Missouri anyway, we have some pretty strong headwinds against letting these things happen just because the people who have been in the driver's seat, been in control, been in control of the finances, been in control of the rules, want to stay in control, basically. Right. They want to maintain their control. And um, I think there's a certain degree of fear, like we can't even get open enrollment passed in Missouri just because and we kind of have charter schools. We have them in St. Louis and Kansas City as punishment. Right. If you live in Columbia or Jefferson City, you're not sending your child to a charter school. But I think that they are really, as the more the feet, this is my opinion, the more the fear of losing their grasp grows, the tighter their grasp gets. And it's 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 happening under their feet. It is, yeah. you know, parents yeah. are like, just 
I'm going to do it anyway. And I would say that uh, in the same talk where I heard Carrie McDonald, uh, I just, uh, there was a woman from West Virginia who is a homeschooler and um, is working with the, the legislature around some of their scholarship programs. And she ended up just developing a, a company that helps people with the paperwork to start a micro school. So if there's anything that somebody who wants to start a micro school, if they're feeling daunted by like, how do I do it? There are a million resources out there to help you get started. Right. And that's one of the things that we're hoping to discuss at this conference on the 23rd. So if anybody's seeing this and they're close enough to Kansas City that they want to make it over, um, if you go to kansaspolicy.org, excuse me, kansaspolicy.org slash events, nice. um, it's the first event there. We're starting it at nine o'clock and we're trying to wrap up at about three. So that way anybody who, yes, it's a Saturday and it would be a long day, but the point is somebody could come from Jeff City or Columbia or Springfield mm -hmm. and be, you know, an early morning, but then be back home, you know, Sunday or excuse me, Saturday evening, mm -hmm. you know, for a one day trip to Kansas City, because it is going to be a lot of resource based stuff. It's not as policy focused um, as, hey, here's how you start a school. Here's what this looks like in different settings, be it, you know, in the downtown urban core, be it in an exurban area or a suburb mm -hmm. or even in a rural area. Um, and but one of the things that is policy focused that is specific to kind of the hybrid and micro world as opposed to the school of choice movement, which is something I know Shomi has been talking about for a long, long time, is Georgia passed several years ago a Learning Pod Protection Act. Hmm. Um, I think it was in 2021. And the idea was um, it's kind of recognizing where the movement is between homeschools and brick and mortars and the fact that I think it was a fire marshal in Georgia was essentially trying to prevent somebody from operating a, a okay. school in a, in a different kind of an environment. So it's not as much the state policy per se, as it is some things that also get into, you know, you know, the shortage of affordable housing or home-based businesses or all these other kind of things. It's a, it's a local zoning issue. And that yeah. doesn't mean that you're changing the character of the neighborhood for anybody who's listening or whatever. Right. But, you know. It's do you I'm, need to get your kitchen approved if you give out snacks? Yes. Do you, do you need to have a commercial? Yes. Virtually ventilated. Yes. You know, stove because you're giving out apple slices, yes. you know, that kind of a thing. Or do you need a sprinkler system if you've got, you know, six kids around your kitchen table right. as opposed to two of them being your own, you know, that kind of thing. So that's one thing that we're really interested in looking at in Kansas, uh, separate from, you know, kind of the education savings account, you know, mm -hmm. discussion is what does it look like in Kansas to be able to make it easier for entrepreneurs of whatever sort, yeah. educational or otherwise. Entrepreneurs. <laughs> right. To go out and, you know, serve uh, a constituency. Yeah. And just as we should let somebody sell muffins at a farmer's market. Right. You know, making some, you know, muffins in their, you know, home-based kitchen. Yeah. Um, you know, we should allow that same family to be able to say, hey, I speak Spanish. Yes. I want to be able to give Spanish lessons at my kitchen table and not have to go through all any unreasonable hurdles. And then ultimately that comes down to trusting parents. That's right. And say, yes, this is a safe environment for my kid. I'm close enough. I know these people they're going to take care of my kids for 30 minutes, four times a week or whatever. Um, and ultimately it's about who do you trust uh, to be making those decisions. And frankly, we trust parents to be in the driver's seat of those kinds of things. 
Right now, do you guys uh, have optimism about your next legislative session or do you think you're going to move more towards funding families where they go? Uh, so we uh, Kansas passed an education savings account bill uh, through the House last year. Mm -hmm. It got 65 votes. You need 63 to pass something. It failed in the Senate. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a governor who has stated her opposition to... Okay money following the child hmm, um, interesting. in the form of uh, education savings accounts, um, which is ironic given that she sent her kids to a pretty um, fancy uh, private school in right. Topeka, but moving past that. And government um, leadership is important. Let's put it that <laughs> way. Um, and if, just like show me KPI does not engage in electioneering. We're not political. Yeah. We're not partisan or any of that kind of stuff. But just if you're, looking at the tea leaves about, you know, the governor has said she's opposed to it and we'll just yeah. take her at her word. So we'll continue to push because the point isn't, I mean, we, we engage in a world to advance policy, but the point is just to make sure that people understand the stakes of what we're talking about, which is empowering parents yeah. and giving opportunities to kids. Yeah. And we'll keep at it as long as it takes. And even if we pass an ESA tomorrow and it gets signed into law, it's going to take years and decades worth of work to try to, you know, close achievement gaps, provide more opportunities. So it's going to continue. You know, there's no permanent victory. There's no permanent defeat. And uh, we'll keep talking about it as, you know, as long as KPI can keep the lights on and the doors open. Well, and I think uh, getting the word out on alternatives like micro schooling, hybrid homeschooling, homeschooling, right. and all of that is important because I I have said that last year in Missouri, 25, 27% of eighth graders were proficient in math. And I believe that if you let parents decide and you gave parents the public money to decide where and how their kids are educated, 80, I'm sorry, 75, three quarters of parents would not just accept that their kids missed the mark. You know, if parents really are in the driver's seat. I don't think three out of four are going to go, oh, well, shoot, that didn't work. <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? Exactly the way the right. school system is like, oh, only 25% proficient. They're like, well, try harder next time. It's like these 75% over here have parents who would probably not all of them have just accepted that if they oh. were in charge. I mean, if I brought home a C and I wasn't a great student, right? But if I brought home a C, you know, in a, in a a on a grade card, if that was a hard-earned C, then you know, my parents were okay with that. Right. But if I was phoning it in, right. right. Um, there was a discussion. It was like, Hey, this isn't good enough. What do we need to do to fix it? And we should be having that same discussion yes. at the state level or at a district level to say, because the proficiency is, you know, it's no different in Kansas, you know, a percentage point here or there, but what that really sure. means is student makeup and things like that. You know, we've got the same achievement gaps that you do just like everybody does. These are not unique problems to the heartland that's everywhere. Um, but we should be honest with ourselves about what these achievement levels mean. Um, and it honestly, there's some pretty blinkered opportunities for an awful lot of kids, even if public schools do end up serving a lot of kids reasonably well, right? Um, it just gets back to that silver bullet kind of an idea. Right. And, and if um, you're homeschooling your child in eighth grade math and they didn't get it, at the end of the year, you're not going to be like, oh, well, let's go on to ninth grade, yeah. <laughs> right? You're just not. Micro schools, like your parents are getting really super invested. So they're not just going to, well, you didn't get eighth grade. 
let's move on to ninth grade. That's just not the way that's going to work out, right? No, that's exactly right. And a quick personal anecdote, our oldest, um, you know, is 11 years old and he just took out of the gate reading. He loves it. He reads, you know, books well above his grade level, right? But he is merely average in math. But we could slow down in math and make sure that he had mastered it at each step, right? Our nine-year-old is almost the exact inverse. He is almost caught up with his big brother on math. Um, but reading, you know, he's, you know, working through it. Um, and, you know, is probably just right at grade level, right? Maybe even a little bit lower if, you know, we're honest or if he's paying attention that day or what have you, right? Um, but the point is, is that we could really sink our teeth into that and make sure that they were mastering every level, not just getting passed on. And to your point, earlier, that doesn't mean that the teacher who's teaching 20, 25, 30 kids Absolutely. isn't doing their best, never mind reading specialists or whatever, but it means that you're essentially teaching to the mean. Yeah. And the kids who are able to really accelerate are essentially held back. Yeah. And the kids who are struggling are left behind. Yeah. And that doesn't work for any of those kids as well as it ought. Right. And the idea of you know, unconventional education that is already happening regardless of yeah. school choice policies. It's already happened. Yeah. Um, we should be leaning into that and embracing it. And again, trusting parents to make those decisions. Um, and because the, the opportunity cost of leaving too many kids behind with 25% proficiency or, you know, it's maybe, you know, a little higher you know, maybe somewhere around 30% in Kansas, you know, I think about, you know, one in four kids in Kansas on the ACT. So now you're talking high schoolers or, mm -hmm. you know, college and career or excuse me, college ready in the four core subject, you know, areas. These are not anything that we should be happy about. No. Um, doesn't mean that hundred percent, no child left behind is a thing of the past, no, no. you know, gratefully. Right. But it just means we should be doing something different and we should be yep. taking a clear eyed look at what all this means and what we can do to try to make it better. And a lot of people are leaning towards this, what you just described, personalized learning plans. And is it likely that a large school system like uh, Topeka is going to do personalized learning plans for every student? I don't know. Maybe it might get there. But we're asking for the system to change to meet us instead of like people just going out and, and doing the thing and um, the system kind of catches up. But anyway, one more time, Saturday, September 23rd at... It's at the Sheridan Overland Park. So it's right on 435, which is the Beltway kind of around the Kansas City area. So we did it there so that hopefully it's easy for people, you know, getting to right off the highway. Um, and again, and if folks can, are interested, they need to sign up. Yes, they do. Uh, register at kansaspolicy.org slash events. And uh, we're at all the usual online watering holes. If you find us on Facebook or uh, Twitter or any of the other things that I don't use, but we have very capable people who do here at KPI. Um, and uh, it's uh, great awesome. to be on with you. We really appreciate your help. And oh, thanks so much uh, for joining us. You know, really anything that we subject. can do to work and help uh, our friends in Missouri, uh, we'd love yeah. to do it. Neighbors. All yeah, right. That's right. Thanks so much, James. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good one. Thank you. Thanks, you too.